good afternoon or good morning, I don't know. I guess it's afternoon now. My name is Emma Cox with McDonald's Corporation and I'm the programs chair for Cornette Chicago. Um, I wanna welcome you back for our first luncheon after the summer break. I know Tony already did that. Um, I hope you all had a great summer. I'm very excited about today's topic, multi-generational workplace, because I think we will all be able to take something away um, that we can relate to and, um, and something we can learn by gaining pers perspective on what the workplace looks through the eyes, what the workplace looks like through the eyes of our colleagues. I'd like to especially thank my fellow programs commi committee leads, Rob Weatherald and Kurt Carnatz. Thank you guys, as well as our amazing programs committee members who help curate the speakers and the content for every luncheon. Special thanks also to our, to our president, Tony Spaniato, and our vice president, Liz McCleary, for helping put on this particular program. Now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce your moderator for today's session, Tom Powers. Tom is the co-president and CEO of IA and is based here in Chicago. With over 30 years of experience, Tom's interior and architectural design experience makes him a perfect candidate for today's moderator role. Prior to his current role, Tom was managing principal of the Chicago IA office for 15 years and oversaw the central US region. In Tom's current role, he helps create the overall firm strategy and oversees IA's 19 offices. On his free time, he enjoys, uh, along with his life, uh, along with his, with his wife, sorry about that, <laughs> Freudian, I mean true, right? Uh, being a newly uh, formed empty nester. So congratulations, Tom, on that. Uh, without giving away his age, Tom re represents the baby boomer generation. Please welcome all of our wonderful speakers to the stage. So thank you, everybody. As I wait for the great panel we have here to get together, I was. You had to say baby boomer, didn't you? You know, I was going to make people guess to see what they thought it was. And you know, one of the things as we were talking about um, when we um, sat down and began to prepare for this, we were saying, you know, what is it with with the labels? I mean, do we have to be labels? Do we have to have talk talk about the generation? I think there is an influence the generations have on the work environment, but it's kind of I think as you begin to listen to this and question the panelists here, you'll begin to see that the influence of the jet generation is more blended than specific. Um, we have a great panel here. I'd like to start with Tyler Walker. Tyler is a senior at DePaul University studying real estate and economics. At DePaul, he is actively involved in Alpha Kappa Psi, co-ed professional business fraternity, and the president of DePaul Real Estate Club. He is an active member of ICSCREIA and the Harold Eisenberg Foundation. This summer, he actually internshiped with um, Starbucks Midwest Real Estate and has internship experience across both corporations and non-corporate environments. He plans to work in commercial real estate when he graduates um, this spring. So welcome, Tyler. We also have Wes Barker with us. Um, Wes started his career in venture capital in Minneapolis, where he worked to raise development funds for a small micro-cap pipelines. Um, after working briefly in finance, he realized his true passion was in corporate real estate. 
and transitioned to working with UGL Equus, now our friends at Cushman and Wakefield, as a commercial tenant rep. From there, he moved over to the end user side in real estate with Grubhub, where he started as a customer care manager and worked his way up to being a senior workplace manager. Wes manages and goes, negotiates Grubhub's lease portfolio, manages and develops the redevelopment of their spaces, and ultimately has the opportunity to help create fun, vibrant workspace that Grubhub promotes. With his free time, he enjoys being outdoors as much as possible, but considering he took the red eye in last night to be here and is flying out this afternoon back to, to the wet west coast, my guess is he doesn't get outside very often. Um, and, but enjoys skiing, hiking, fishing, and taking photographs. Welcome. Um. Sarah Anderson is the Director of Real Estate Management, part of the Workplace Effectiveness Team at Genentech, the organization responsible for the work environment, design, and delivery in South San Francisco. Her role at Genentech allows her to exercise her passion as providing healthy, sustainable, financially performing environments, which allows people to do their best work. A real estate and financial services professional with more than a few years' experience. Yeah. <laughs> I promised I wouldn't say it. So. Um, she is focused on setting overall business strategy for her group, running business, business units, and building client-facing relationships, developing cross-functional teams. Prior to joining Genetech, she led the CBRE Occupier Strategies Group and was a principal with Perkins and & Will and managing director for Atlas Capital Strategies. She is also a registered architect, so welcome. Coming in yesterday from California as well. So. So each of these folks have a pre presentation we're going to go through. We decided that we're going to have each of them do it one right after another and then open it up for questions. We have some questions. I'll try and connect the dots and obviously be thinking about any questions you have, you know, maybe stump the panelists here. So, Tyler? All right. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Tyler, and I go to DePaul University. Um, I'm here today representing the millennial generation. So starting off with a little bit of the history of the millennial generation, um, over the past several years, obviously the design and the use of office spaces has really dramatically changed. Um, tech companies like Google, Facebook, really being the forefront of this new design. Um, we've seen everything from slides to ping pong tables, sleeping pods. Um, and as a millennial, I think that's kind of a stereotype of our generation. Um, kind of the idea of just adding a ping pong table to your office doesn't like automatically make it a, a place we want to flock to. Um, but it definitely does help in like the marketing of your company and brand. Um, but surprisingly, we actually value and want more than just a ping pong table or slide in the office. So a little bit about what we actually value. So not only is the design of the workplace important, but so are the values of the employees. Um, and over the past several years, again, we've seen the values really shift um, as generations have um, come on to the workplace. Um, and my generation specifically really values things like workplace culture, diversity, innovation, um, and really advancing technology. So by companies innovating that and really bringing that into the workplace, um, you're really creating a like, solid work environment for millennials. Um, and also, in order to adapt to these changing values and really um, become competitive in the marketplace, um, really creating that workplace through uh, maintaining like competition as well as um, really getting the new generations in your workplace. So, 
All right, so looking at the workplace today, um, we obviously saw, see a big disruption in the traditional office space, and a lot of that has been caused because of my generation. Um, some of the most notable trends today being collaboration, unique office amenities, and the impact of flexibility and working remotely, um, which is something my generation really values. Um, so starting with collaboration, we've seen workplace design really change to um, really enhance collaboration between employees. So my generation really values team-based work, project-based work, so really designing your space with huddle rooms, open floor plans, team zones, um, to really enhance that collaboration, as well as provide like a variety of spaces to work in. So I know from my own experience, um, working at larger corporations where I was able to like hotel, um, that was something I really enjoyed as an intern. Um, but I think looking to like a full-time position, hoteling would actually be really difficult. Um, but I still do like that full like function and design of like the office space with having a variety of spaces. Um, and then secondly, unique office amenities. So obviously we've seen um, urbanization as like a big trend lately. A lot of companies moving to the city, uh, McDonald's being a great example of that, going from Oak Brook to the West Loop now to really attract that young talent. And I think with my generation, um, being in like the urban core is really important, um, not only for the workplace, but also for the things outside of the workplace. So being surrounded by retail, restaurants, entertainment. Um, so that's like something really important my generation wants and kind of merging that like work-life balance to kind of a, a work-life integration really. Um, again, to target that like flexibility essentially. And then wellness amenities. So my, my generation again is really big on health and well-being. So having advanced fitness centers, um, cafeterias with healthy options, even on-site showers and changing rooms. Um, so you can really live that lifestyle at home, but also really transition it to the workplace. Um, yeah. Tech, we got all that. Okay, okay, there we go. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so just really creating that environment um, to really live that healthy, like, wellness um, lifestyle. And then outdoor spaces as well, which ties to flexibility. So um, having just another place outside of the physical office space to go, um, whether it's you just want to go out and get fresh air, or even a space, again, to socialize with coworkers and clients, whether it's at lunch or after work, again, playing on that seamless work-life um, integration. And then finally, um, working remotely, which in my opinion I think has the largest um, impact on the future workplace. So in talking to my friends um, really about like this panel and seeing their views on things, um, one thing that I continually got feedback was that we want flexible workspaces. And myself, I can really speak to that. Um, really deciding when you want to work, where you want to work, and how you want to work. And we've really seen trends popping up, um, for example, co-working spaces. So companies like WeWork, Regis, um, Convene, really creating that atmosphere um, where you can really go in, work anytime, but really benefit from all the amenities, um, such as like a coffee bar, um, unique furniture, kind of just a very casual work environment. Um, and this is really popular with startups, but again, like consulting firms and larger corporations are kind of hopping on this trend. Um, and then something in addition to working remotely is the concept of the third place. 
So the, the idea being the first place is your home, the second place is work, and the third place are the spaces between. So these are like coffee shops, libraries, um, parks, really the place you would go to socialize. Um, we're kind of seeing that change into basically a third office space. And not to promote Starbucks or anything, but uh, Starbucks, Starbucks is a great example of the third place. And designing their stores, they know that people are going to come here to work. So go down the street today, and you'll see tons of people in there um, doing meetings, working individually. So it's kind of creating that third office space. Um, and you can, again, see it with other retailers as well. Um, Capital One's a great example of the Capital One Cafe. So kind of creating that atmosphere where you can go get coffee, hang out, um, and continually to work outside of the office, but also outside of your home. And then finally, multifamily redesign. So a lot of newer, um, large uh, apartment buildings are actually being redesigned where your units are smaller, um, really made to just sleep and eat. Um, and then you have full amenity floors that are built out with co-working spaces, um, places to hang out, do work, um, AV hookups, uh, really like areas that promote working from home but not from your unit. So it's a really different atmosphere and it's kind of combining the whole live-work situation into like one, one big area outside of the typical office space. So overall, as technology advances, um, we're going to really see significant changes in terms of the workplace as well as in terms of working remotely. And then finally, um, touching upon my ideal workplace. Um, so I know I mentioned that seamless work-life integration. So um, kind of less of the on-off work-life balance and more of transitioning, basically making your career your life essentially, but without the obviously generalization of tons of work and all that, but really working when you want and how you want to. Um, so through like the three things of flexibility, um, collaboration, so having those spaces that you can work with your coworkers, even one-on-one, -on -one. and then thirdly, non-traditional spaces and amenities, so something completely different from the past um, and how technology is really going to advance that and change what we're seeing today and how it's going to impact future generations as well. Um, and I think when, when thinking about the future for myself, um, I like to think about like the current urbanization we're seeing and how right now my generation doesn't have families, so we don't have to worry about schools or anything like that, but I'd be curious to see where things are going to shift once the millennial generation does start forming families. Will people want to move back out to those more suburban office parks, um, or are things going to kind of stay in the, in the city? Um, and that's something I can't really even fathom myself to think about, um, nor do I want to, but yeah. Um, but right now, it's definitely a changing and developing space for millennials. Um, and I would say we definitely are like high maintenance, I guess, when it comes to the workplace um, in, terms of <laughs> in terms of being so different from previous generations, so yeah. have to add a foosball table to recruit. That's, that's <laughs> great news that there's more to it. Um, the, the way I approach sort of presentation style is just talking about how the workplace has evolved from when I started um, in commercial tenant row. And we're more time just talking about some of the things Tyler noted on, on just how we tie the space together. Uh, that's always going to be a constant challenge with not just how you allocate space, 
um, or ancillary furniture or your desk configurations or conference rooms, but also the technology as well. Um, and so I'm not going to read every one of these bits of it, but I like to joke around about Mallard Green from the 90s. So like the old financial <laughs> institutions and the old legal. I love going in the spaces and still seeing Mallard Green, and I remember when it just sort of like wandered off one day. Um, and every time TI work was done, that was erased somehow. And so I use that as an example of when I started, the, the private offices along the window line were just finally moving to the interior. Um, and that's when I, I think, at least from my perspective, noticed a big catalytic change in really offering more to your employees and the people. Um, it started to erode away at the hierarchy of space. Uh, if you look at a lot of old schematics, I'm sure a lot of you have worked on them, of an old law firm or financial institution, you had three or four different sizes of office. I mean, knowing where you were at in the legal hierarchy was based on your office size um, or whether you had the corner. And so all of that starts to erode away. And we also see that it's not just clunky cubes, because you can remember the, the wooden, heavy, prefab cubes that would sit on the window line that, you know, as a workplace manager, it would take you two weeks to move or refabricate, um, and really go towards bench-style seating, which has just been way more efficient, allows you to re-maximize and densify as you go. Um, and with that also has sort of come a lot of the spaces that Tyler noted. Um, you know, that created a lot of issues, uh, whether it's regards to noise or people being comfortable or needing privacy and sort of all these justifications went along from individuals coming out of the private offices saying, well, this isn't gonna work for me. And it's like, okay, well, we're, we're going that way. So um, it, it's been interesting to see all the different ancillary and supporting collaborative spaces that have gone to sort of not just weaken that cultural shock, um, but then also just thinking of different ways to not just work as an individual, uh, work within your team, and then work intra-team and departmentally as well, um, and creating those zones where people feel that they can go work as an individual away from the desk, um, where they can collaborate within a small team, and then where they can get together as a large organization. Because as you start to spread people more around the organization, the company, this is a big challenge that we had as well, um, there has to be commonality that ties everyone together so that you're reminding everyone of the cultural goals of the organization, or the products that you're designing and representing. Um, and a lot of the ways that you can do that is, it's not just space. So to your point on the foosball table, you're totally right. I mean, the culture has to be there to support it. The space can't create the culture. The space is supposed to support the culture that's already there. Um, and then knowing your culture well enough to basically figure, you know, my, our folks don't work that way, but I bet if we challenge them, let's see if they do it. And if they don't, then, you know, at least we tried it. And so that goes back into one of the main themes for me in the way that I approach um, designing space with intent is really thinking about, you know, how can I continue to densify if I have to versus just let's go take another floor. Um, because I don't think that that's the right approach. I think that that's, for anyone that was working through 2000, 2001, I think there was a lot of lessons that were learned during that period of time and just how we just kind of throw our weight around and take down space. We have to be creative and financially responsible and efficient for how we're building things out and then also make sure that we're building in flexibility. Um, and then this sort of supports kind of the main theme that I was just going over, which is, you know, there's the ecosystems and then there's the biome, or there's the neighborhood and there's the town hall. Um, for us, our biggest challenge is that we didn't really have a town hall space. We're at 800 and almost 90 people here in Chicago, uh, spread between six floors. There had to be a common space for everyone to get to, um, but you're not going to build out a town hall space, you know, stadium seating style, and then it's going to sit there for 90% of a quarter. And what do you do with that space to make it multifunctional? Um, and this sort of gets into the case study of us, and this is a good example just from the images of, you know, on our 21st floor, we have four to five different uses on, you know, call it 17,000 square feet of front space where 
when you walk in, you've got your pantry, I'm sorry, you've got your reception area, you've got your specialized you know, training room, we have a lot of them, um, and then you also have your pantry off to the side. <clears throat> but within 15 minutes, a small facilities team can basically pop back you know, Dorma glass systems, and then that turns into one space, and then the technology is a big part of that, where you plug into one TV on the 21st floor, it takes over all of them, and before you know it, within 20 minutes, we're connected with you know, another 1,600 employees around the rest of the country in a town hall setup where I can finally get all of my folks in one room just to strengthen that culture. It's important, I think, in the day-to-day -day that people do have the ability to work you know, the way that they need and what's conducive to them. Um, and, and everybody's different, and that's the beauty of it, is everyone should be different. It should be good that different ideas are coming to the table and different experiences are coming to the table, and as long as the culture supports the collaboration, not just aimlessly discussing random things, I mean, there has to be, again, back to the goal of the organization, it all has to tie back to something, although those meetings are kind of fun sometimes. Uh, anyways, I mean, I think it's, it's just really different ways and always thinking about how can I bring everyone together, even though it's great that on a day-to-day -day working basis, they all have their own corners, they have their own nooks, um, to support an individual alone, you know, we have phone booths, we have one-on-one -on -one nooks, we have, you know, the desk space is a little bit tighter and there's been transition there, but, um, and then tying into the conference rooms and having four or five different types of conference room that support different needs. So, uh, you know, as we talk about sort of where I, I see things going, my ideal space, I think the biggest thing is really just continually striving for balance and flexibility. Um, always keeping it in mind, always challenging the floor plan to make it work for what you need to make it work versus just starting from scratch. And thinking about that is sometimes difficult. We don't always know how many folks marketing is going to hire in three or four years, but we have to kind of guess that there needs to be a flexible barrier between the departments um, that you use day one as a collaboration space to bring departments together. And then if I need to, I already have a floor plan where that's desks if I need it to be and I've got ancillary furniture to move somewhere else. Um, and the culture's a big part of that. Technology is, is critical. Uh, I remember everyone used to have a dial-in that would be emailed out, and with an organization now, it's the worst. Um, and, and we still have that, which is fine. Anyone from JLL's in the room? Um, <laughs> or CB, uh, which is great though. I mean, it's, it, it's important that that's still there. For us, we are spread out now and decentralized, not just within our office space, but also in different offices across the country. We should be that way. We shouldn't just say we're gonna recruit in Chicago and recruit in New York, and then that's it. Because we're limiting ourselves to a huge talent pool that's the rest of the United States and the world. Um, especially when you're talking about products and tech development. Um, it's, it's amazing to see all these different areas around the world that are popping up as supporting centers for our startup environments here in the United States. Um, Poland and Belarus being a great example, at least for us, but everyone has a different place that you know, they gravitate towards. Um, and now, within a couple minutes, and everyone's sharing the same dial-in system and, you know, uh, conference room reservation system, you know, we're all dialed in and video conference together, and that's a huge part of reinforcing sort of the Grubhub brand or just our brand on an international level. Um, and so I think that that's the biggest thing, is just constantly reminding ourselves that we are supposed to be looking for balance and flexibility, um, you know, humility as well, and I think as those spaces evolve, it's great because you find that your individual employees and your teams are becoming more flexible as well. Uh, it doesn't help to have a bunch of departments have their own separate identities and egos. Um, everyone kind of needs to be working together and we have to make sure that the space is not getting in the way of the work. So yeah. Cool. Can I stand? Okay. All right, uh, Sarah Anderson, Genentech. 
I have to stand. I You're think. To stand. I well, no, I think on my feet, literally. It's like <laughs> so. Um, I know some of you. I used. To, I kind of grew up professionally in Chicago, so it's good to see some familiar faces. So um, I'm not this old, <laughs> although I'm the senior member of the panel. This is Bürolandschaft of the 1950s. This was conceived of the first open plan. This was Henry Ford, German industrialist, looking for efficiencies, repetitive work. It's basically the birthplace of open plan. Uh, first, credit to Perkins and Will, because all the images I'm going to share are work that I did while I was there. Um, so mid-90s, space is still status. There are some conversations about moving out of offices. So what do we do? We recreate them out of cubes. <laughs> but they have doors. The, the walls don't go to the ceiling, but they have doors. So some um, compromises there. <laughs> um, Later 90s, you know, the, you know, talk a little bit more about this, the blandness of the workplace after the go-go 80s. Um, this is actually floor shine, big cubes. Getting people out of the office, I'm going to give you a big fat cube, nice high walls. We can pretend it's just like your office. And a lot of this stuff was top down. This was the CEO saying we need to be more efficient with our real estate. This is not going to the workforce and saying, what do you need to do to get your, do your best work? Pretend space and status are not linked, um, which, you know, frankly, they still are in a lot of places. So now we're, you know, 99, 2000. You can sort of see the, the run-up to the first dot-com. This is actually not a dot-com, but tech. This is SAP Labs and Apollo also. So you start to see a little bit of geographic difference, too. Panels have come down, some different geometries. People starting to value the actual visual connection of the workplace. And then this is 2000, let's say 13, 14, uh, tech in San Francisco, 140 New Montgomery, uh, software AG, terracotta. So I think we've all seen a lot of this space. This is designed to recruit Tyler. Um, <laughs> although Genentech is better. Um, but, but in terms of lots of connection, easy to pull away from, the, from your desk, and collaborate with your coworker. If a conversation starts to take on more, we, you know, we need to actually chart this out. We need to go. And it has you know, plenty of amenities. And this is now. This is Genentech's latest building. It opened in 2015. So I've heard some themes here. Flexibility, choice, adaptability. We have designed our entire new workplace program around that. Work anywhere. Who in here remembers when results-oriented work force was like a thing. <laughs> it was Best Buy, I think, was the first one who put that into place. Um, we don't have that as a program necessarily, but that's where we are. Our groups um, who are, have opted into the new workplace, which is an opt-in. It is not a mandate from the CEO of Genentech. And maybe not everybody knows, Genentech is owned by Roche, so we are global. But Genentech is the um, sort of headquarters of Roche in the US. So flexibility, mobility, um, and we believe in a network of places. We, you, know, you can do your work anywhere as long as it's getting done. But we do have some guidelines because we don't want people gone all the time like IBM or Yahoo. We want them still come back in and engage with their colleagues. So very explicit agreements around how do we want to work together, what does our team want to accomplish together? How do we agree we're going to work? If you're going to be remote, how do we work together? Um, you have to indicate what are technology tools, uh, what are our core working hours. Half of our teams, they're not intact teams in South San Francisco. They are intact teams globally. 
So how do we break down time and space with technology? How do we break down time and space socially? The conversation, I bumped into Emma uh, you know, on the stairway in the atrium. We had a great conversation. How do I replicate that experience my, with my colleague in Basel? So we're trying, those are some of our challenges. So some trends. This, I am definitely old enough to remember this. The bland, bland 90s. This is not Perkins and Will. Um, <laughs> these are just examples. Um, you know, after the go-go 80s, a little more vanilla, a little more calm. And then, oh my god, <laughs> it's the playground. <laughs> so .com 1.0, there goes your slide. Um, although I was just in Houses' offices this week, and they actually installed a slide. I was like, hmm, the 80s called. Or is the truth <laughs> .com 1.0 calls, they want their slide back. <laughs> um, so the, you know, the office's playground, the, you know, it is about recruiting, recruiting that younger talent. I like how Tyler said work-life integration. Um, you know, I was saying earlier, the minute that cell phone came into my personal life, my personal life had to come into the office. Um, it's just the, it's the, I don't like the phrase balance because it means everything else is out of balance, but it's how you have to sort of figure out what works for you. So what I, but I do find interesting, the same thing with advertising firms as .com 1.0, to unleash our inner creativity. Why do we have to play like children? It's just, you know, why are Nerf guns essential? to the next innovation. So that's, I don't have a solution. I just think that's interesting. And here's where I think we're going. Um, that, that's, you know, the embracing of technology. Where is it taking us ne next? Anybody in here use Slack? All right, cool. Um, Asana, these project-based software, eliminating email. How do we start to connect with each other? Because we're going to be remote from each other. Even if it's just working from home and someone's in the office, how do we keep that collaboration going? How do we keep that social connection going while we're not in the physically same place? Um, and you know, mobility again, and new ideas about work. What's important? Is it important? It's not those repetitive tasks. How do we start to really look at the intellectual capital that's being created, support it in different ways? Because we have a five-generation workforce at Genentech. Um, my core demographic is very different than Tyler's. Or, or Wes's workforce. You know, my core demographic is 42 years old, highly educated, data-driven, and choosing to work for a company that's trying to save lives. They are not Twitter or Facebook, um, but they are, you know, going from 22 to 62 to 72. So it's how do we start to really leverage each other? And one of the nice things about this panel is we've been talking, and we don't feel like we represent, like, I am, what am I, Gen X? Um, borderline baby boomer, I don't feel like I am this box. And I don't think Wes or Tyler feel like they are that box. What I think we all feel like is we are working cross-generationally. How do we respect the differences in our generation? And not say cater, but support and respect. And as the older part of the generation, not expect that um, Tyler's going to come into the workforce and be like I was when I came out of college, like eager doobie making no money. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. I have a former boss here who uh, <laughs> could speak to that. Um, but how do we support the innovation and the creativity that's inherent in Tyler's generation and give them the room to help us think innovatively, but also give them the guardrails so they can be more productive and also learn there's some frameworks that we all need to learn growing up in, the, in business. So quick case study. So this is where we're going. Um, square foot per head, cost per head, um, cost per square foot, 
We got all those metrics. Our neighborhood environments are about sharing. It is unassigned. You can sit anywhere in the neighborhood. Um, and more than one, per, it's basically 1.4 to 1 is sort of our, our overarching average. Um, but our goal is to measure business outcomes. So I am not going to read these, but I'm going to tell you that this is a group of scientists. We first designed our, our first um, workplace neighborhood to be more about team-based work, but we, there's different kinds of collaboration. There is truly collaborative work product where what Tyler's doing, what I'm doing, are essential to each other. We can't produce anything without each other. Or there is complementary work, whereas Tyler and I are both working on similar projects, but they're not related, but it's anecdotal and we learn from each other. But then what our scientists are doing is our scientists are out there and they are working very much individually and they meet very formally to align. So I'm looking at this aspect of the molecule and you're looking at that aspect of the molecule. How do we make sure that our, you know, our clinical studies, everything that we're working on is going to align? And they were scared about the neighborhoods. They didn't think they could share. They didn't think they could do work anywhere outside of a lab or a private office. So we talked to them about their business outcomes. What are we trying to achieve? And how do we measure whether or not we've done it? And so you can see from the plan, it's a mix of spaces we'll talk more about. And what ends up happening is, so my job is I manage a campus of 12,000 people. And I have acres of real estate and 60 buildings. And yet, I have to be able to restack. So I can't have one type of workplace, one, you know, and another elsewhere. So how do we keep some level of standard but still support the type of work that's being done. So what we do is different mixes. We've kind of figured out what our baseline mix is, how do we use modular, and the, thank goodness modular walls have gotten a heck of a lot better. No offense to Cluster Hausman, but you know, <laughs> there's some good stuff out there. How do we add, you know, use modular to add enclosure for a more scientific community? And the three pillars, and I will say, as a recovered architect and interior designer, Space, places, is our least important. It's what everybody sees and what everybody touches and wants to talk about because they've all watched HGTV. But <laughs> it's our least important. It's taking a lot of things that we were implicit about before and having agreements. I was talking about before in terms of how does our team agree to work together? How do we know when we're basically all working? What are we trying to achieve and by when? And then technology. We agree as a company we're going to use Google Suite so that when I'm working on my slides and Tyler's working on his slides, we can be working on the same deck. It's not version control and all that thing. So that's part of the way we're embracing collaborative technology. We use Google Hangout all the time because it's free. Don't work for Google. I'm not you know, promoting it. But you know, we spend $10 million a year on WebEx. So trying to, and also Google Hangout, I can just get on a Google Hangout immediately because when I can see Emma, I have much more of full range of communication. She doesn't communicate with her voice. She communicates with her hands, with her eyes, with her body language. So we, we try to use Google Hangout as much as possible when we're working um, across time and distance. So ideal workplace for now. This is kind of where we are. Um, and Tyler, you're talking about flexibility and choice. So. Whenever, when there was assigned workspace and you knew what level attorney you were by the size of office, um, you know you got an office or you got a cube. You had no choice. Here, you choose where you want to work, when and when you want to work, and what works best for you at that time. You know, if I've got to do a you know, uh, presentation, I will close myself in a room and do heads down. We're also experimenting with these little flags you put on your laptop, so you can sit in the studio, but the flag is red, and it's like, don't bother me. 
So, you know, lots of experimentation. We also acknowledge that our workplace is not done. We are in constant evolution. And we are fortunate that Genentech slash Roche is funding us to do the constant evolution and learning. But when we start proving that we're bringing drugs to market faster because of the environment, then that's a compelling conversation. And um, this is where we're going. So health and wellness and regeneration. In our prototypes, we found from people are getting, you know, getting more, um, more collaboration. Team, uh, team community's gone up. Team productivity's gone up. Individual heads down quality work, flat. That's not great. We want to see that go up too. So we're still working on that. Um, but areas to recharge, place how to get outside, you know, go work out. We have nap pods. I never thought Genentech would go for that, but they love them. Um, and we've really started to, uh, we've just built a amenity center, health, uh, health center, gym, et cetera, ergo showroom. And it's really, we know that we're, we're a wellness company, so we have to really walk our talk. And we have been pushing the sustainability barriers um, more and more. We're bringing a new child care center online in spring of 2018 that will be net zero energy. So really excited about that. Purpose-built technology. So we talked about the Google suite a little bit, but you know, obviously that's not be all, end all. This is, I think this is Oblong up here, which is sort of like um, Minority Report. You can take content and kind of bring it, move it around with your hands or actually with a wand. It's really great. You know, how do we make technology so it's not there just to be the cool new thing that no one knows how to use? Who knows how to use a smart board? I can't figure it out. <laughs> but make it really easy and support what we're trying to do. And then also connect with purpose. So one of the things that we actually see with the younger generation is, you know, while they have the mobility and flexibility, they're choosing to come in. And we're close to urban, not quite urban. Um, but they are coming in because their social life is so tied to that. And so how do we make, like, to support that? You know, there is one version of our future when people only come to the office because they want to see each other and collaborate. That could be one version. They do all their heads down work elsewhere. I don't know. Um, and then also adaptability. This is one that I'm struggling with as, you know, running a campus. How do I have my buildings be user adaptable without paying through the nose in sort of like, you know, flexibility? So, you know, I think I, get, I need to get there, especially for those project-based teams. You know, our personalized cancer vaccine team is changing their space all the time, but they're changing it with the limited parameters. They can't move walls yet. So we're working on that. And that's it. <laughs> Pretty interesting, really interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to ask a couple questions of the panel, um, kind of randomly pick on some people on the panel probably, and then open it up here. So if there's any questions, begin to think about that. Each of you talked about culture. I mean, a little bit di differently, but you know, culture. And I, I think I want to start with, um, with, with Tyler and say, where do you think culture comes from? Who establishes a cult culture in a company? And then I'm, just so you know, for the other two, I'm going to ask you, where does it come from in your world? Yeah, I think that's a funny question, because when I think about culture, I sometimes ask myself, like, what is it? Where is it coming from? I think it could be a combination of the, the design of a space, but also the people you're working with. Um, what are the, the values, the morals of your company? Um, what's the workplace look like in terms of employees? Is there a large um, 
Is there a lot of diversity in the workplace? Um, and essentially, I think also what are the, the benefits of working at a company? I think it's a, a large package that all kinds kind of comes together in the end. Um, but, but like you can obviously speak to different types of culture. Um, like as a millennial, I think, I think of companies that have or known to have good culture, like Google. Um, a lot of people might would love to work for Google because of their office, because of their, their branding. Um, I think brand's a big part of culture as well. Um, and I think my generation really values a brand, um, especially just because we grew up in that age of internet and social media that everything was branded. So I think having, having a combination of everything is kind of what comprises of that culture. Interesting. Where do, where do you find out about the culture of a company? I would say, I mean, you could go to a company's website, but I think um, I think a lot of it's just from like word of mouth, in my mm -hmm. opinion, and um, through the media and what you hear about different companies, um, rather than just kind of researching it online, because I think everyone kind of has a different opinion. But I think a lot of it's just from what you hear from other people, essentially. Yeah. Wes, you were talking a lot, lot about the culture of Grubhub. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about you know we all you know passionate about real estate and all that, but we know that that's just a minor part of it. Right. It's interesting. I, I think, and I've thought about this a lot, um, just since my since I've been at Grubhub, because we have such a strong culture, and the fact that it, I do find it to be unique when I compare and contrast it against other organizations. Um, for us, our big word is scrappy. Um, use that word to death, and probably too much, but um, it's part of our you know colloquial tribal knowledge within as well, or conversation, and that you know everybody. It's part of the Chicago mentality as well of just working hard and getting it done and pulling from different resources and getting it done right, um, not just getting it done to get it done. Um, and with that, there's also sort of disarmament of individual ego where everybody is truly striving to work together to get something done. So as we onboard new people, as we grow and evolve as an organization, I think we benefit from the fact that you know we've, we've got a great backbone of uh, executive leadership that's been around since the beginning of the organization founded the organization, has helped grow it into what it is now. Um, and as they have ended up hiring subsequent levels of you know, VP or director below them, um, really giving those people the autonomy to carry what they were brought in to do um, and empowering them to travel through. So that's really on just a hierarchical level or a, a headcount level. Um, you know, I think, like Tyler said, the space is really there to support the culture and sort of be a representation of it versus something that just overnight I'm going to be able to cool office and our culture is going to be amazing. Um, those, it's interesting, with Moxie Award, uh, no company's ever won both awards. So no company's gotten best culture and best office. It's just, they don't go together, which is great. Um, and so I think that a lot of that has to do with, you know, work hard, play hard. Um, I still believe in that. And I think we've built it into our space in the sense that, you know, we have a, a cocktail area, we have a bar, you know, treat people like adults. Um, treat them to make adult decisions. Don't be worried because you just put in a beer tap. Um, and then you strategically put it next to your CEO and CFO. <laughs> and you find people really <laughs> snap together on it. But um, no, so I think that that's a big piece of it. Obviously, having internal uh, employee-run culture organizations, so whether we have an overriding culture club across the country, um, different specialized focus groups, um, giving people the comfort and flexibility of talking about ideas out loud within the organization. Um, and then, you know, back to space, I think it's important to, you know, have places where people feel comfortable um, and that they're comfortable at work and nobody feels uncomfortable in their environment. And so that's where we started developing a lot of nooks into our space and just different places for different sizes of breakout. Um, 
So yeah, a little bit of a long-winded answer, but I think it, it comes from a lot of different places, and it's not something that can just be stimulated to be what it is. It has to grow organically. Yeah. Sarah, you talked to you have five generations in the workspace, yeah. which is kind of amazing, um, but you have a great culture too. And is there variables? Do they apply differently? Are they interpreted differently? I don't think um, the variables are generational. I think we've got some variables going on that are pretty powerful, and uh, we have not come out the other side. I'll be very frank about that. We were acquired, Genentech was the first biotech, and they wear that badge really proudly. I mean, if you go to South San Francisco, there's a sign next time you go west, you gotta look at this. It says, Welcome to South San Francisco. It's a really the, big sign. Yeah, it's yeah. really big. Really big the sign. birthplace of biotech, sponsored by Genentech. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so there is this incredible pride around that. And then we were acquired by Roche, who was a majority stakeholder, um, and the acquisition was complete in 2009. So now you're part of this global pharmaceutical company, and Swiss, by the way, really buttoned up, and they do things differently. So I think we are just coming out the other side of the acquisition to figure out our new culture. Because we have groups on campus who are just Genentech, and then we have groups on campus who are Roche. Their business card says Roche. So I think we're coming out the other side on that one. Um, the other thing that has just started is what we're calling the 80-20 team versus function. Um, we have certain groups that, uh, I'm not gonna share specific filings here, but we had a filing for an amazing new MS drug, and it was delayed for three months because the filing the team put in the file together. They all sat in different places. This is how what we do is real estate is really important. They're all sitting in different places, and they had a really um, sort of rigid governance structure. You go from 7 to 10 between here and Basel. You present the information on your molecule. But the challenge is that molecule may be so complex that it takes you 50 minutes just to get the, uh, the governance team up to speed on what that molecule is going to do. And there's no time for the actual governance to occur. So we're doing an experiment where we're going to co-locate those filing teams, co-locate the leaders, basically getting the leaders out of the offices and making the leaders much more accessible to the teams so the leaders know what's going on. Um, and but the challenge has been, historically, if all the work is being done on a team, but my, my review and my community is still within my function, that's a bit of a challenge. So if, if for imagine if you're, you know, um, if you're a GC and you've got a superintendent who's doing great work with his group of foremen, great work with his project executive, but for whatever reason his reporting structure is going up into a different project executive, there's a disconnect between the work that's truly committed coming to the company and how they're going to be reviewed, how they're personally going to be rewarded. So, you know, we're, we're working through that as well. We've got certain groups that are farther ahead on that timeline. So this is, you know, this is stuff we're working with that space has, like, this much to do with it. But it's more about co-location. We're even talking about hyper-co-location. How do you get drug development with the people who are finding the molecules, with people who are going to make it into a medicine, sort of like getting your GC on board early. So for us, it's, you know, the culture we're trying to deal with now is team versus function. Do you have to really... Right now, I think we're, over, we're on function, and, and how much do we rover rotate, or just maybe just rotate to team? So, so with the five jet generations, I'm assuming the teams are made up of multi-generations as well. Absolutely. Does that create any unique challenge, or is it just a 
not, not, not an issue. It's kind of not an issue. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's an incredibly, like, really interesting, very well-educated, really smart workforce. Like, I am never the smartest person in any room there, ever. And um, they, and I think as long as you can hold your own intellectually, it doesn't matter whether you're 22 or 62. So, Excellent. But there are certain things that you just, there, there's experience, lessons learned, you know, filing's it, gone wrong, you know, molecules really, that didn't make it's, it. So. It's amazing when you, when you think about it, just to hear you guys talk about it. I mean, a lot, you know, if you Google generational workspace, you know, there's tens of thousands of documents out there and all that. And I think there's a focus on that that seems to be skewed in a, in a way that is giving it more importance when we're actually dealing with it. But open it up. Are there any questions out there for the group? All the way in the back? Yeah, Rob, I think all the way. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Just here, there's a microphone coming. Hi. Um, all this talk about the varying ways that you can make the space more collaborative and everything um, and maybe help state or project or enhance your culture, all of those spaces look the same to me. I mean, everything is looking the same. So, I mean, what's, what's so phenomenal about it? I mean, it's just like all the other times that it happened. Everybody's space started looking the same, so. Can I? Sure, absolutely. Space doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't, sorry. <laughs> this is probably not the room to say that in. <laughs> I mean, it really doesn't matter. It is, they are kind, there are similarities. Um, I bet you Grubhub space is probably groovier than ours. Ours is a little bit more grown up because of a different demographic. Um, and that does make the people at Grubhub probably feel more comfortable. It fits them more. But that's, they look similar. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. What matters is the culture of do I trust you? And here at Very California, do I feel psychologically safe on this team? <laughs> but we have those conversations. <laughs> so I think, you know, it, I think it's a really good observation. They do look alike. Yeah. I think what differentiates is the work that's being done and how people are treating each other. Either if you want to add into that. I, it's a good question. I, I guess, you know, every, every company and everyone in, in our roles likes to think that they've created something different. Um, you know, you had the different person there, you guided them a different way, you channeled finance a different, you, you are so creative. Um, and I catch myself on that a lot. You're, you're right in the sense that a lot of spaces are, are designed similarly. You know, there are some architecture groups where I can walk right into a space, I know exactly yeah. who did it. Um, <laughs> I know exactly whether it was turnkey or that they did TI, I figure out where that extra $5 that everyone likes to use as the buffer went. Oh, there's the branding piece or a big media wall, got it, cool. Um, you know, and I think it's, it, it also goes into site selection. So for us, we made a strategic decision to uh, stay at 111 West Washington, Burnham Center. Big part of that for us is we have a 24-7 call center. So obviously, and that's even a big deal, having a, you know, massive call center in downtown Chicago. Um, but it's important to us, and that was, it was right in the middle of the loop. So being close to the red line and the blue line was really important for us so people could get home safe. Um, but then we're also one of a short list of companies that has their own roof deck. So uh, that was a big reason that we stuck around as well. Um, and we've got a great relationship with, with the building and, um, you know, with all the teams involved. But we had to catch ourselves and really sit down when we, when we looked at restructuring and growing at 111 and say, 
we can't, this isn't a game of smoke and mirrors. Like we have to go out there and know that if we find something that economically makes sense over where we are right now, we have to be committed to that. You can't really play a game with, you know, 128,000 square feet in downtown Chicago. So it was interesting having that conversation with executives and nodding, their, I mean, some were more hesitant than others, but everyone being on board. Um, so yeah, I, I do agree that a lot of things look similarly and, and we're talking about the same kind of evolutions of, you know, team and creative space within. Um, what's important, I think, is that there's this emphasis on the flexibility and on the different ways that, you know, we're supporting collaboration and communication and that everyone is starting to focus on some of the same things that I think are really important back to the life work balance where you're, you're comfortable where you work and it's, it's helping support idea creation and project execution. So. Excellent. Any questions? Right here in front. He's coming. So I feel like we're very comfortable with the idea of millennials in the workplace, but Gen Z is coming up real fast. Uh, they're already starting to enter the workforce. What should we be preparing for as, or what are you preparing for as the next generation comes in? Um, okay. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm raising, I think my kids are Gen Z. Um, so, you know, never knew life without a cell phone. Fax machines, they have no idea. Sometimes I just tell them that stuff just to freak them out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would say what we're doing is trying to push our limits technologically. We're trying to push, and that doesn't mean just um, our collaborate, like our collaboration suite. It means um, how, what are we doing technologically? How are we automating our labs? How are we? And which you, when you automate the lab. Instant labs are doing assays on new drugs. The scientists can review that from home. So it's you know typically lab work. You had you actually have to come in and do the lab work. So um, I would say we're pretty focused on technology. What's happening there? Um, when we started our workplace program at Genentech, and still to this day, Genentech does not have a working flexibly program. The working flexibility program, the official one at Genentech is you speak to your manager, you work at a special accommodation. But if you are in a neighborhood, working flexibility is part of the program. So now I have kind of have, have not situation happening. Um, but the program has been such a success in high employee engagement that Genentech is looking at a working flexibility program across all 12,000 employees. Um, and I think that those are the kind of things that all the stuff, like all the growing pains on that will hopefully be worked out. There'll be new ones, but that's what we're doing to really kind of prepare is focus on technology and focus on what engages our employees and makes them happy. Like we don't give away food, we don't. Um, and we're in Silicon Valley where you can, you know, get three squares a day. But you know, we differentiate ourselves in other ways. And, and we're, we're looking for a very specific type of person. You know, we're looking for someone who wants to really save lives. And it, I know it sounds very sanctimonious, but I'm not kidding. I can talk about why we're going to do something that's less expensive because we want to save money for the molecular pipeline. And I get every head in the room, no matter what generation they are, nodding in unison. Yeah, I, I completely agree with technology um, being a really big way of guiding. I, I kind of mentioned it when I was going through my slideshow and just thinking about decentralized recruiting. Um, you know, San Francisco is a great example. I mean, real estate costs got so high that that had to start coming 
out of that environment and going into other cities. You know, Phoenix gets its rise from San Francisco decentralizing as an entire, I don't mean to overgeneralize it, but just, it, right? Yeah. So Austin, Austin is a collection of venture capital guys that basically came out of San Francisco and said, we like Austin and we're going we're gonna to make this work here. Um, you know, Seattle always stood on its own. Portland has always stood, stood yeah. on its own. But we were talking about this at the table too. What's really cool is the rise of the secondary city. So we start to hear really great stories coming out of Kansas City, uh, Minneapolis. Um, you know, one that Dur Durham, Rally yeah. Durham, the Triangle has always been one. Um, and then some of the, the revamp, you know, the revamp of the traditional older cities like Philly. So right now Philly has the largest surplus of you know engineering and tech talent um, potentially in the country, but it's Philly, right? So nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, so you go, but you go there, you go there, and I didn't, I honestly didn't believe it. Uh, so I went and you know it was just there. I went to school about an hour and a half west of there. I was like, wow, like there's, you can tell just physically and just based on the way that people are communicating in coffee shops or in different cohab spaces like you were talking about earlier with WeWork. It's like, no, there's a completely different conversation happening here than used to. Um, it's not just about Comcast or Acela and uh, you know, Amtrak anymore. Um, that was the old guard of engineering. Now there's this whole new idea that's in there. So I, I think that the decentralized recruiting model doesn't just seem to be limited to one organization or one region. Um, and with that, it's going to have to come you know, more supportive technology so that you know, when I'm communicating with someone who is in another market, we really feel like we're across the table from one another. And it'll also be interesting, I think, from an economic standpoint to see what happens. This is the longest period of economic success that we've had as a country. So like, we kind of forget 2008 was actually a long time ago now. Um, at least if you compare it to some of the other cycles that used to be on the very set four and five year plan of you know, cyclical something going on. And so it'll be interesting to see with the millennial generation, um, you know, in the working environment, you know, what happens when that, if that happens and how does it happen, how does it take place, and then how is that going to impact sort of the, the millennial culture, and then let alone the Z. You know, what is the workplace able to offer in that environment? Because things are pretty sluggish after 2008 and 2009. There's a lot of pent-up capital, and that's finally now kind of coming into play. Um, you know, whether it's new developments or just different spaces being thought about differently. And, and through that period, people had to get really creative in how they do their lease negotiations. Um, the TI allocation became a whole new ball game of like, where can I get money and how can I get money out of the steel for my net effective per square foot? Um, so it, I don't know. I obviously don't want it to happen. And I'm not you know, doom and gloom freaking out about it, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what that impact would have. So we have about a minute left. Oh, sorry. I'm going to give, give you the last word, uh, not because you're uh, a millennial, <laughs> just so you know. But, but just think yeah. about those yeah. Zs yeah. coming up. In eight years, they're going to want your job. Yeah. So, so think about what, what that is and maybe wrap us yeah. up. Um, yeah, no, so I just wanted to add to that. Um, I think technology is really important, and it really is going to impact the future workplace. And from my younger siblings alone, I think they, growing up in elementary school, middle school, and now in high school, they've actually been on a program where they've used iPads throughout their whole education, where they haven't even touched a piece of paper. And I think their use in technology is so different than my use that it's really going to evolve the way the workplace changes. Um, and even now, at their level, they're experimenting with new technologies like AI and stuff in the educational space. Um, and how that's going to really transition to the workforce and really incorporate into like companies and how we work. So yeah. Excellent. What a great, great panel. Let's hope thank them.